The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Reading this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Reading verses 1 through 6, invite you, if you would, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask now that you would give clarity to the preaching of your word and give application to the hearts and lives of the brothers and sisters who've gathered, to all who are listening. I pray that you would use it to your end and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So I preached this message today, June the 7th, 2020. Darkness has filled the world that we live in now for the past several weeks. On top of everything else that we've been dealing with as it relates to the coronavirus, recent days have proved to be deeply discouraging and disheartening. Well, there are many things that we can and must say in light of racism and riots and political unrest. We must rest in the hope of the gospel. We, God's people, we must make this gospel known. This text has been of tremendous encouragement to my own heart. It has corrected me. It has admonished me. It has comforted me. It has helped me. And it is my prayer that God would do the same for you. Here's the main idea of this message. As servants, as his servants, we press on proclaiming the light of the gospel, trusting God to open the eyes of the blind. We focus first on as his servants, we press on proclaiming the light of the gospel. Paul here shares his motivation for pressing on. His motivation in light of critics who have criticized every decision, everything that he has done and much of what he has said. But this motivation extends beyond Paul, beyond his mission team. It extends to all of us with this simple phrase, we do not lose heart. He's going to come back and repeat this phrase in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Now, what does that word mean? means we're not exhausted or utterly spiritless. It, it's, not a, it's not a physical weariness that he's talking about here. It's a spiritual weariness. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
What ministry? What was what, Paul talking about? Go back to chapter three, verse six, who has made us competent to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This ministry is the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the new covenant, the ministry of making Christ known. And we have received this ministry, not of anything of our own doing, not because of anything special about us. We have received this ministry by mercy. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It cannot be attained by discipline or strength or virtue or any work. We've received it by mercy. One of the pastors that had an early mark on my Christian life, he would repeatedly say, what we are is that we are simply a beggar telling other beggars where to get bread. We don't come from a place of authority. We don't come from a place of hierarchy. We are all in need of mercy. And we have received this mercy from Christ. And having received this mercy, we do not lose heart. So Paul doesn't lose heart in, in, in two ways, or how it affects him in not losing heart in this ministry. is one, he doesn't give in to using deceit in his ministry. The second thing is he doesn't give in and crumble under the pressure of persecution and hardship that surrounds him. First, let's, let's see how he doesn't give in to deceit. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. So the truth is both spoken by Paul and his team as well as lived. That they're living out their, their, their Christian faith in every way. They, they are not disgracing the gospel. They're not using underhanded means. Many years ago, there was an event going on in Gaston County and a very famous group was here and late at night, someone went by their bus and found on their bus that this famous music group was having a party. And I'm not talking about a birthday party. It would have been no different than any party going on in any bar in Gaston County. It was disheartening. Disgraceful. So what Paul's saying here is we, we're not one thing in front of you and something somewhere else. I don't say one thing to this group and something else to the other. I've renounced any disgraceful, underhanded way. Second, we, we, don't, we refuse to practice cunning. That's craftiness, trickery. Those of you who are around the church in the latter part of the 20th century, Revivals were a big deal. A lot of people traveled and did evangelism. And I believe that God has gifted people to be evangelists, to go and preach the gospel and train the church in how to do gospel work. I'm not opposed to revivals and I'm not opposed to evangelists. So don't write me letters in base of what I'm saying. But here's what made me weary with the whole thing. As America moved more and more towards secularism and it became harder and harder to get people to come to revivals and harder and harder to get responses, people in evangelism began to give in to trickery. To come up with ways to get responses. I had a big conflict with an evangelist who in the youth building years ago used to be in the wooden building where my office is. 
used a way to get kids to raise their hands to quote, accept Jesus. And I said, where's what's sad about this? You tricked those kids into that. They walked out of here just as lost as they were when they started, but now they think they're Christians. We don't need trickery. We don't need a scheme. We also don't tamper with God's word. That's the next thing he says. We don't falsify it. We don't dilute it. We don't make it more digestible, more suited to the age. And the pressure is on. Somebody told me after the last service that John Piper this week said, I'm praying that Bethlehem Church will not be ashamed of anything in the Bible. So I flipped that on you. Are you ashamed of what's in the scripture? Are you afraid to say what's there? We don't tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That means we openly, freely, directly proclaim the truth of God's word. We do it in front of people in, in view of their conscience in the sight of God. This sounds very similar to what he said in chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not like many peddlers of the word of God, those who tamper with it and use cunning and trickery, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. It's a quote. Unlike the tangled webs woven by false ministers, authentic Christianity weaves a tapestry of motives, actions, and fruit that present a consistent picture of integrity before your own self, before others, whether a particular community in, or, or a people in general, but most importantly, before God. If you've been around here long, you've heard me say this. I will answer to God for this sermon. Now, I do answer to the people of God. You must keep every person who stands behind this place accountable that they do not tamper with the word of God or use trickery. But recognize this. We will all stand before God for what is said and what is heard. What's crucial is that we must make this gospel clear. And when we make it clear, we trust God with the results. So as his servants, we press on proclaiming the light of the gospel, trusting God to open the eyes of the blind. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, Paul is not saying he spoke in veiled terminology. He's answering this question. Why do some people not respond even though we are clear with the gospel, both in what we say and how we live? Charles Hodge, an old Puritan, made it clear this way. He said, the sun does not cease to be the sun even though a blind man can't see it. Just because people do not see it, even because it's veiled to them, we don't tamper with or change. We, we stay true to the gospel. And here's what we understand, verse four. In their case, the person who's veiled, the person who can't see it, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. So how is this? It's because so many people are, are charmed by the world. 
That the good news of the gospel, is, it's, it's screened off to them. They don't, even, they don't even see it. What they see and what they hear is a different gospel, a different way to salvation. And the one who is the Lord over this message is the God of this age himself, Satan. And he's not saying that Satan is God. He does not have the power of God, but here's what Satan does have is the power to deceive. In chapter 11, verse 14, Paul's going to say this, that he disguises himself as an angel of light. Now listen very carefully. Satan is not an angel of light. He disguises himself as one. He makes himself to be something he is not. Now this is as old as the beginning of the book. So turn with me to Genesis 3. What is it? What, what means is the God of this age? It says God of this world in the ESV. It's, it's the Greek word eon, which age. When did this age begin? <laughs> well, the age began in the garden. And the effect of what happened in the garden continues today. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden that's not exactly what God said here's the core issue this is this is this is how it's playing out today just like it has played out since the garden what Satan wants to do is to cause you to ask the question is the Bible reliable is what the Bible says actually true is the Bible worth listening to is the Bible simply a means of control is it simply a flawed history book is it written by patriarchal males who are trying to control women is it written by one race to control other races etc 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 there are all kinds of narratives out there and this is what I, the conclusion I came to very early on. Either the Bible is true or it's not true. You either hear it and believe it or you reject it. Now here's what's happening. Because of this age-old scheme of the evil one, he said, did God really say? He's convincing young people in droves who grew up in church between the ages of 15 and 30 to abandon their faith and say, this was a means of control for my life. Now, <clears throat> For you young people that feel the need to push off everything your parents have ever said or taught you, here's my challenge to you. Did God really say? Find out for yourself. Instead of rejecting something because some liberal wag tells you that you ought to, before you reject it, find out for yourself. Did God really say? Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. There's the temptation. There's the gospel of this world. Be your own God. Be who you want to be. Oh, by the way, you can do anything you want to do. I just, I just want to ask everybody this. I'm not trying to be discouraging. How's that working for you? Now we can do a lot. And we can accomplish a lot, but there's only one who can do whatever he wants to do. And that's God. You are incapable of doing whatever you want to do. You have limitations because you are a human being. But nobody wants to hear this. 
We love this false message, be your own God. And we love this false message of believe in self-salvation. There's a guy who studied young people around the turn of the millennial. He released this study in the early 2000s. So now it's nearly 15 years old. These people he studied are now adults. But he studied young people very uh, academically using proper methods. This is not anecdotal. This took years to do. And this is what he discovered that young people in America believe. He called it moral therapeutic deism. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Sounds all right so far, right? It's a God created the world. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. And you see where the expansion starts. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So what would be the problem God needs to resolve? I'm not happy. I don't feel good about myself. So God solved this. And here's how it comes out in this culture. You watch this. If you deal, deal with a lot of young people, this is not true of every young person in this room under 30. I don't mean that. But you've all, if you're young, you know this. You let the pressure get on somebody's life, a person who never ever talks about God, they never bring God up, but you let pressure get and they'll say something like this. Why would God let this happen to me? Because at their core, they believe that God wants them to be happy. That the central goal is to be happy. The last thing they believe is that good people go to heaven when they die. Now here's what you better be careful. Here's what's emerging culturally. This is emerging quickly and fast. That which used to be immoral is now moral. And if you don't line up with a new morality, you're bad people. And we are perfectly justified to put bad people in this culture in their place. Because, I'm gonna go back to the center of this. What's the core belief? I'm supposed to be happy. You know why? They're not articulating this fully. Because I'm God. You've all heard this, right? It's his world and we live in it. It's your world and we live in it. It's your world and we live in it. Folks, we all can't live like that. Anarchy will come. You can't live that way. So Christ, the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Christ brings something new into this world, something completely different. What is it? To give them, to keep them, excuse me, who is the image of God, the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
That's what Satan wants to keep people from seeing. But you, but you can't hold this light back. Christ is the image of God. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. I'm in verse 15. See that same language? Now Paul erupts into this beautiful narrative. He is the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now, brothers and sisters, here's where we better get clear. I'm going to go back to moral therapeutic deism for a moment. Here's what upsets me, and I I can't come up with another word, is people like you who sit in a church like this with gospel clarity week in and week out, and somebody says to you, what is the gospel, and you mumble jumble around good and nice and moral, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ, who is fully God and fully man, dwelt among us, that he came to reconcile us to himself. We don't have peace with God. You worried about being happy and you're ignoring the fact that you don't have peace with God. So Christ came to reconcile us, to to make peace. And he made peace by the blood of the cross that Christ laid down his life for us, that he gave himself in our place to set us free from sin and death so that we might know God, that we might have peace with him. So Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. I'm not interested in you liking me, Paul says. That's what he's saying. That's not my chief concern. One author wrote this. I didn't write it. One wonders how Paul would have fit in today's Facebook culture. At this point, there were few Corinthians who liked his message and even fewer who were willing to friend him. Paul says, I don't proclaim myself. Here's what I proclaim, that Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I just want to say to all of you who claim to be Christ followers, having the upper hand is not God's call on your life. And these narratives that are going on in our culture, everybody's trying to get the upper hand. We're not upper hand people. Here's who we are. We are servants for Jesus' sake. The actual word here is doulos. It means slave. We are slaves. We have been bought with a price. We are no longer slaves to ourselves or sin or this world. We are now Christ and we submit ourselves as servants, as slaves for Jesus' sake on behalf of others. The purpose of our lives is to display and to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Verses one through five, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. This is from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It is, it is the gospel that consumes us and we believe in the power of the gospel to save. How do we believe this? Because this is what's transpired for us. Now Paul draws on what we share as Christians. Verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now this is an obvious appeal to creation. Genesis chapter one, verse three, God said, let there be light and there was light. All he had to do was say it, light. So the God who said that light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts. So he appeals to creation, but what he's referring to is the new creation. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two. Now I just want you to hear the context of this. God's people have been exiled because of their disobedience to God. They are now under the rule of a foreign people, no longer in their land. And the prophet Isaiah says to them, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them the light has shone. God dispels darkness at both creation and recreation. He eliminates darkness in the physical realm by means of the sun to which he created. And he eliminates darkness in the spiritual sphere by the uncreated sun. The un eternal son of God who has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now let's work our way backwards. For those who are Christians, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in Christ. So we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We proclaim the gospel. We do this though we know that the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. We still rest in the fact that Jesus is Lord and the gospel is true and that God can shine light anywhere he chooses. We proclaim the truth of this gospel without tampering with its message, without any use of deceit or underhanded ways. We stick to, we persevere in this ministry and we do not lose heart so what then? I return to where I started. On June the 7th, 2020, in light of the current circumstances, are we pressing on proclaiming the light of the gospel as his servants? Now let me define what I mean by current circumstances. COVID-19 and the restrictions that have ensued, all the confusion, and I won't name them. And let's just say it. And the rising unrest that is brewing every day 
Then on top of that, we have these horrendous acts of violence toward Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd that have quickly escalated from protests by those who are concerned for justice, and rightly so. We should be concerned. But now it has turned into riots by opportunists and angry people. And I just have to ask the question, how much of this is tied to all these restrictions and the way people are being held down? I'm not arguing that they need to, I, I'm not smart enough to know. I'm just telling you what we all see that the pot is about to boil if it has not already, and it is about to boil over. And then there are the extremes. You pick which one's the right or left. This is my right and my left, but it's the opposite for you, so that's good. Now we're all confused. But here's what the world says. One group of you, you line up over there and you all choose this narrative and you stick to the narrative and you say exactly that and nobody better part from it because if you part from it, now you're over there. You're on that side, over yonder. And you people get a narrative and you say that narrative and everybody get mad and scream at each other. Here's what we're doing. We are devouring one another. And we better watch it as to who we are as Christians. We better watch who we are and what we can give into and what we compel ourselves to and the narrative that we grab hold because I have a narrative. And that narrative is not defined by culture. That narrative is defined by Jesus Christ himself. Last night, Celeste and I were watching a, a documentary. It's on the history of Christianity. The first three centuries, some of you are going to ask me about it. Most of these people are liberals, okay? So it's not some kind of biblical explanation. It is a history. And this professor from England got enthralled with this. He said, how in the world did Christianity emerge in the first three centuries? How did it happen? Under utter Roman domination, how did Christianity emerge? And last night he was focusing on the third century. This was incredibly insightful to me as I sat there and listened to it. So here's what happened. The Roman government was in decline in the third century. It was struggling, going down. And the Caesar and other people in, in, in charge came to this conclusion, which we don't hear this very often. The Romans were deeply religious people. They came to this conclusion the reason we're in decline is people have stopped making sacrifice to the gods. So the Caesar sent out a decree and said, all Roman citizens have to sacrifice to the gods. And the Christians said, no. No. So then the narrative shifted. And they said, oh, they're the reason the gods aren't blessing us. We better get rid of them. So they drug them into arenas and they set loose animals on them 
They sent centurions in with weapons. They devised awful means of execution because the Romans were bloodthirsty to see more and more and more bloodbath. And I don't know whether this guy is secular or not, but he does make this point. Here's what happened. It turned on the Romans. Because these Christians would enter these arenas singing and praying. They would kneel in a huddled mass and cry out to God as the animals were released on them. They would be given one opportunity, recant and make sacrifice and live. No, they would say. And here's what happened in those massive audiences people watched. (laughs) I've never seen that. What is that? And from poor to rich, the message of Christianity spread. You see, you can't hold back this light except one way. It's only one way. You get ashamed. You get ashamed. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, not Paul, it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is, to everyone. The gospel's not for us in Gastonia. It's not for the Bible Belt. It's not for white people or black people or Hispanic people or Asian people. The gospel is for all people. And the only way this wall of hostility that is going to be broken down, that is being erected to skyscraper status in our culture, is when it is broken down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not retreat, my friends. Do not adopt an extreme narrative. Keep the narrative that God has given you. It is the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, I pray you'd help us all. We are all burdened. We're all burdened by what we see. But thank you in the midst of this darkness, your light has shone. And it is shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So may we be overcome, overwhelmed, encouraged, blessed, and pressed forward. And I just pray simply today that my brothers and sisters will not lose heart. And I pray for those who do not yet know Christ that they would see today the light of the gospel and understand that you, Lord Jesus, that you have paid the price and made peace through the blood of the cross, reconciling us to yourself. Bless us now as we sing and respond in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. 
please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.